If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is Thursday, September 30th at the time we're recording this. So, as always, if anything major happens after that, we didn't know about it right now. <laughs> so don't ask why we didn't put it in. <laughs> <laughs> don't message us about it. <laughs> I'm sure you're all assuming we're going to be talking about the search for Brian Laundrie. And if you don't know who that is, you've been living under a rock for sure. But we are not really going to talk about that in this episode just because, as of right now anyways, nothing big has happened there's been tons of tiny little crazy updates and it's just kind of a big mess at the moment as you probably know already dog the bounty hunter is involved so his theme song is stuck in my head literally every day because all i do is think about it um he's looking for brian now the police the fbi everyone's looking for brian still really no sign of him and by the time we put this episode out, maybe they'll have find, found Brian by then. And we will. I was just thinking, gosh, it'll probably be found in the next hour or so while we're, we're recording. <laughs> yeah, because we're recording this kind of early as to when we're going to release it, unless I re- do it, release it earlier. I hope he's found by then, because if he's not found by the time we put this episode out, <laughs> mm. I'll be so devastated. Yeah, I, I think I probably said it last time that I still. I couldn't believe he hasn't been found, and I still, like, it's just unbelievable that he's managed to evade everyone for this whole time, if he's still alive, obviously, but... I can't decide on the fact that they haven't found him yet, or really, well, that we know of much of a sign of him. Makes me think he's on the run, or if he's dead, because part of me thinks if he was dead, they would have found him by now, but who knows, because sometimes people have been dead for a year, like, a mile away from where they were last seen or something and it takes them forever to find them, like Alan White. Yes, yes. I was actually exactly just thinking of him. I feel like he could be dead, obviously, but I really feel like he's not at this stage because I think his parents have been so evasive and now all this other stuff which has come out about him being at a campsite after Gabby went missing with his parents, I feel like they've they've set up this for him to hide for however long. I don't know what, yeah. their, end, what their end game is, like... Do they think he's going to hide forever? <laughs> or I Yeah, don't I don't know. I think so too, though. I think they're putting in way too much effort for him to just be dead. And for them to have no other info. Like, if they really didn't know, I'm sure that, you know, they would be much more even vocal about that. But I think they've released one statement, yeah. haven't they, saying they don't know where Brian is, but that was it, and that's... And they're... Their attorney is a hot mess. Yeah. Everything he puts out is embarrassing. <laughs> um, I guess he's primarily like a real estate attorney, so I don't know why he's decided to take on a, a massive criminal case, but apparently he's been the, the family attorney for 20 years. And I feel like unless you're like super wealthy or something where you need lawyers to protect you, I don't know why the fuck you have a family lawyer. Yeah, I've seen a few people say that, but maybe they just used him repeatedly, like, you know, every time they sold a house or every time they updated their will or whatever, maybe they used him for, like, not actually retained him as such. Yeah, or just someone that they, like, know. Yeah, like a family friend or something, maybe. Yeah. So we said we weren't going to talk about it, but we did. (laughs) (laughs) We are. But, yeah, we're not going to go over it in great detail. That's just where we are right now. Because yep. probably by the time we put this out, something big will happen, hopefully. So we will talk about that case further when we've got more concrete details, a more concrete story, and hopefully he's found. Fingers crossed. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's been a couple other, not as big as Gabby, of course, but big cases that people have been interested in. So we're going to talk about Mia Marcano, who is missing also from Florida right now. 
and the death of baby Nevea, which was a crazy story. So we're going to go over those two quickly, just where we're at so far with what's known about those. And then we are going to go into what the episode's mostly about, which is the rest of our reality TV celebrity series, which seems like we started months ago at this point. <laughs> a lifetime ago. <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> but then we're going to get into that one about Ryan Jenkins and Jasmine Fiore. So you want to start with Mia? Mia. 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 I, keep, I was just saying to Stephanie before we recorded that I've always thought, because we don't get obviously a lot of videos the news here and I haven't watched much actual footage of this. I always thought her name was Maya, so I'll try and not mess up, but it's Mia, Mia. You'll get messages if you mess up. <laughs> All right. So the search for Mia at this, you know, at the time of recording is now in its sixth day. Mia is a 19-year-old woman from Orlando in Florida. She was last seen last Friday, September 24, at around 5 p.m. at the Arden Villa Apartments. Mia lived in this apartment complex and she also worked in the leasing office there. Mia had been due to fly to Fort Lauderdale on Friday night, but she never made the flight. And when her family went to check on her, they found signs of a struggle in her apartment. A cousin of hers spoke to WFLA and said they found her room in disarray with jewellery on the floor and the bed was unmade. And they've also said that they found blood in the area. They haven't really elaborated on how much blood or, you know, but they've just said there was signs of a struggle in the apartment. I believe Mia's phone has also been dead since Friday. Uh, the Orange County Sheriff John Mina spoke and said, obviously her family raised this level of alarm and concern knowing Mia would never not be in contact with them, would never turn off her phone and never let her phone battery drain completely down. So they started, her family started really quickly to try and find her. There wasn't a whole lot of proper media coverage yet, but they did a lot of social media um, and we heard about it pretty quickly. Her aunt, Simone, went to the complex on Saturday and when she was there, she had a weird kind of encounter with the complex maintenance man, Armando Caballero. So her aunt said, he was trying to leave. His lights was off. I said, are you looking for Mia? I said, who are you? He said, I'm the maintenance guy. I heard you're looking for me. And Simone said, I didn't know who this guy was at the time. So you can kind of see where this is likely going to head. There's some dodgy maintenance guy in the complex. I can't believe that that happened. I know. It's so crazy, like, in hindsight, probably not. Probably at the time she was just like, mm, that's a weird guy. But looking back on it, that's so crazy. Investigators discovered that a maintenance-issued master key fob had been used to enter Maya's apartment about 30 minutes before she was set to finish her shift at 4.30 p.m. on the Friday. The fob belonged to Armando, the maintenance guy. So, anyway, you can really see now where this is going. Um, her family have said that Armando apparently expressed a romantic interest towards Mia, but she kind of brushed it off and told him that she wasn't interested. So that was so Mia went missing Friday. Her aunt was there Saturday and saw Armando. On Monday, police in Seminole County, Florida, got a 911 call about a reported suicide. This info comes from Law and Crime, and it's about the 911 call. It says, We found a suicide on the property, says a woman. Someone hung themselves from a garage. The caller said the garage was used to store paint. Maintenance crew members went to this garage, according to the incident report, and they found Armando dead. The garage was usually left unlocked, but not this time. The report says when they arrived this morning to let the paint crew access the supplies, they found the door to be locked. They then drilled the lock, which is common practice when they don't have a key, and upon opening the door, they saw the deceased. A deputy wrote about seeing Armando partially suspended from the garage railings from a red band. He's, Armando was 27, and it says the 27-year-old's feet were an inch off the ground. He was wearing a grey shirt and black gym shorts. He was in the early stages of decomposing. Blood was poured from his ears and his mouth, and he was in the early process of rigor mortis with stiff joints. And then it says, the deputy wrote, the maintenance employees advised that the last time the garage was entered by any of their staff was Friday evening. Therefore, Mr. Caballero entered the garage at some point after the evening of the September 24th, but prior to the morning of today, September 27th. So their timeline is kind of Friday to Monday. It seems likely, though, that it was after Saturday night because he saw the aunt on Saturday afternoon. So it's a bit, there's kind of a shorter timeline, really. So as of today, Mia is still missing. It's the sixth day, as we mentioned earlier. There has been so many searches for her. They basically haven't stopped since she went missing. 
Divers have been searching bodies of water and other officials are working um, to search wooded areas. They basically are going 24 hours a day. John Mina, who was the sheriff we spoke about earlier, he stated that his office is deploying all resources to find out what happened to Mia. He said 60 detectives are working exclusively on the case. 30 searches over three counties have been conducted since she disappeared. And today, the FBI announced that they were also joining the search for Mia. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement has also been assisting with specially trained canines that can locate electronics, specifically cell phones. So I'm assuming they're looking for her, possibly cell phone. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if they have his also. But residents at Mia's apartment complex today received a letter from the kind of, I guess, you know, complex management telling them that law enforcement would be entering their storage units and garages which i'm surprised it took this long to do that i I feel like that would have been one of the first places to look especially if the guy is a maintenance guy and has access by via key to everywhere basically yeah family members spoke to a news agent i think it's wesh too today and said that armando's cell phone pinged at some point after her disappearance near new smyrna which gave law enforcement a new area to have a to search. I had a quick look, and that area is around one or one and a half hours drive from Mia's apartment. Someone sent us a message to on Instagram and said that they are in New Smyrna, and about 3 p.m. today there was tons of police cars poured into the area, and there's also several helicopters low-flying. So it sounds like they're looking into that area more and more. Um, hopefully something will come of it and we'll be able to update in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, too, the family have also said today that there was evidence in Mia's room which shows that she was taken out through a window and not the front door. It's interesting. We were just chatting about that before we recorded, so maybe he did that because it was the middle of the afternoon, you know, like 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon when this all happened, so maybe he did that to not be seen. I'd like to know more about where her apartment was in the complex and that type of thing, but it's interesting that they think she was taken out the window. I wonder at what point, like, he would have taken her out the window because it's still pretty light out at that time of day where if you're just dragging someone out the window and then to your car in an apartment complex, I feel like people would see. So it makes me wonder, was he in the apartment with her for a couple hours till it got darker? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Surely I wonder if there's any CCTV. They haven't released any you know, actual footage or said that they've got footage of him. I know they've said that he was seen with a blanket and things like that, but... It doesn't seem like there was a whole lot of footage around her apartment. I don't know what that one picture of him was from, like the same day he ran to the ant, so hopefully there's more that they can find. And they just haven't released it. Yeah. Her, uh, Mia's family believe that she's still alive. Her aunt, Pia, spoke at a press conference and said, I know you're alive. I know you're out there. We love you. You know our family is strong. You know our family is big. You know we will never sleep one night until you get home. We miss you. So they are still, even as, you know, six days later, they are still hoping she's alive. And my my thinking is maybe the police believe it too because they've got such a massive search going on for her. um, And the FBI. Yeah, and which I feel like it wouldn't be as like I'm not, I'm not saying it wouldn't be urgent, but it wouldn't be as time critical if she was if they believe she was already deceased. So obviously we hope she's alive and they find her very soon. I, I feel like he probably wouldn't have killed himself, though, if she was still alive. Yeah, unless he sold her into sex trafficking. Yeah, I guess I never even thought about that. <laughs> we also didn't say that, as superficial as it is, she's so pretty. Yeah, she's. and the other thing is, too, is she's tiny. Like, I've seen reports, some reports, that she was four foot nine and others say she was five foot. So either way, she's a tiny little thing which is why I guess he could take her out the window. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, she's stunningly gorgeous, got a sweet, beautiful face. It's very sad. I hope that she's found, you know, very soon. Um, I'm going to make a blog for Mia today. I'll put it up before this episode comes out just because it is quite time critical. So check that out whenever you get a chance. And if she is found by the time we put this episode out, we didn't know that right now. so <laughs> yeah. And it will be on the blog. So make sure you check a blog if you want to know if there's any updates on the case. Or I was thinking, because with Gabby, how we're like, we got to put it out fast so any updates don't happen. I was thinking for times where you feel like that's going to happen, be like, and if anything else happens, we'll put a news clip of it in here. Because I could do yeah. that when I'm editing. So yeah, like, if they find idea. her, we could put a news clip right here. Yeah. Just so people know. 
This is not the update that I wanted to give to everyone today. Earlier today, the Orange County Sheriff's Office Emergency Response Team was searching the area of Timberscan Apartments that's off of South Texas Avenue in Orange County, and that's when they discovered a body we believe to be uh, that of Mia Marcano. Why were we at Timberscan Apartments? So uh, cell phone records uh, showed us that Caballero was in or near the Timberscan Apartments on Friday evening between 8 and 9 o'clock. Uh, that's the evening that she was reported missing. And he was there for about 20 minutes. Uh, nothing in the records indicate that he ever returned there uh, prior to killing himself. Uh, and although uh, we are very certain of the identity, uh, the positive identification will have to come from the medical examiner's office. At this time, we cannot identify a cause of death, so I don't want to speculate on that. Uh, you know, the most important thing right now is that, unfortunately, uh, we, we have found what we believe to be the remains of Mia. So the next case is one of the other bigger ones that we've covered this week. Um, and I'll just give a quick trigger warning for this one. It covers child abuse and child death. So just be warned. Uh, Nevea Allen was a two-year-old baby. She went missing on Friday, 24th of September from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So that's the same day as Mia. Um, obviously not connected, but just interesting. They happened on the same day. Her older siblings arrived home from school on Friday and found the door to their apartment was open and that Nevaeh was gone. The story given to, at the time to police was that Nevaeh had been left in the care of her mother's boyfriend, Philip Gardner. Philip said he'd been taking a nap and when he woke up, Nevaeh was gone. I believe, like I saw all the comments, I tried to find a proper article, but I think it's kind of hearsay that he said that he was napping for hours, like two to three hours. And everyone was like, who does that when they've got a baby in the house? And I think I, the, one of the reporters that was there said the nap thing. I think that's where it came from. Mm -hmm. uh, so we made posts quickly on our social media and everyone was pointing fingers at the, some people have said it's her stepfather. I think it's just the mother's boyfriend. But anyway, everyone was pointing fingers at him. He seems, he seemed shady from the start. Yeah. The nap was sketchy. <laughs> Police started searching, thankfully, nonstop for Nevaeh. Her mother Lanaya, I think that's how you say it, Lanaya, spoke to the media and we have a clip of that. What could have happened? I don't know what went wrong. I wish I would have stayed home from work. I, I don't know. I was, I don't know. That's all I know. This morning I woke up, me and Nevaeh went to the store. I had to be at work for 8.15. I brought her to the corner store with me. I got her some snacks, some apple juice. We came back home. I finished getting ready for work. Nevaeh. The little girl, my little boy, and her daddy brought me to work, and that's the last time I see my baby. The last time I see my baby was before I went to work when I got dropped off. That's all. When I went to work, she had on her yellow dress with the pineapples on it, and she should have still had on that dress. She, she, Then, so she went missing Friday, Sunday, September 26th. Philip changed his story and he was arrested. The Baton Rouge police spokesman, Sergeant Legene McNeely, said the story done changed. According to his arrest, arrest report, Philip later admitted that he found the juvenile unresponsive and lifeless and further admitted to disposing of the remains without notifying authorities. He was booked into jail on counts of unlawful disposal of remains and obstruction of justice. Nevaeh's family told the advocate that Gardner and the baby's mother, Linnea, had a toxic relationship that was sometimes violent and it sometimes involved the child. Marcus Allen, who's Nevaeh's father, also told the advocate that he last saw his daughter on Wednesday before he dropped her off to spend the rest of the week with her mother and her stepfather. He described Nevaeh to the newspaper as the perfect two-year-old who loved animals and the park. And just as a little aside, mm. she was so beautiful too, like the sweetest little face. Yeah, she had cute little fat cheeks. Yeah, cute little baby. Mm -hmm. So after Philip was arrested on Sunday, police did find the tiny body of Nevaeh. The FBI, in conjunction with the Hancock County Sheriff's Office, found her remains near Logtown Road in Hancock County, Mississippi. Her body was transported back to Louisiana for an autopsy. I was watching a quick little video about this today, and it's in a really remote wooded area. Like, he looks like he just drove and drove until he found somewhere that was remote enough to dump her. 
And I think yeah. I read that she was buried in kind of a shallow makeshift grave, which is terrible. Hmm. So that was Sunday. Her body was found. On Wednesday, September 29, police arrested Nevaeh's mother, Linnea Cardwell. She was charged with second-degree murder and second-degree cruelty to juveniles. Phillip's charges were also upgraded to second-degree murder. They released the affidavit, and it was just horrific. So this is where the really, you know, nitty-gritty, terrible details come in. This info is from klfy.com. In the early morning hours of Friday, September 24, Linnea Cardwell punched the child in the chest out of anger after the toddler picked up her contact lenses. As a result, Nevaeh fell backwards and hit her head on a cabinet. Later in the day, Nevaeh complained of stomach pain and did not eat. Documents said, according to Gardner, the child went to lie down and was found unresponsive. Affidavit stated that Gardner attempted CPR, but his life-saving efforts were not successful. When asked why he didn't call 911, he could not explain, the document said. Gardner admitted to putting her body into a small suitcase and disposing of her body in Mississippi to protect Linnea. He told authorities that he travelled to the neighbouring state with a three-year-old and an 11-month-old in his care before returning home and reporting Nevaeh as missing to the police. After the autopsy, police said a forensic pathologist told them it cannot be ruled out that the victim was still alive at the time that Gardner put her in the suitcase and suffocated to death prior to succumbing to her other injuries. The autopsy also found that multiple contusions to the face and head along with swelling to the brain and that she had marks and bruises which were seen on along her body as long with injuries to her stomach. So the affidavit explains why Philip is also accused of second-degree murder, and it's this is a quote, all persons concerned in the commission of a crime are principals, whether present or absent, and whether they directly commit the act constituting the offence, aid and abet in its commission, or directly or indirectly counsel, or procure another to commit the crime are principals. By that standard, the affidavit states that Gardner was a principal to this crime. So... I tried to have a look and kind of find out more about what the process will now be for the mother and the stepfather or the boyfriend. Um, I'm not entirely sure what happens. I think it's interesting that the stepdad or boyfriend, whichever he is, seems to have totally ratted out the mom. And I feel like it's because otherwise he looked the most suspicious because, you know, normally it's more common for a random male to murder the baby than the mother. And right off the bat, everyone was more suspicious of him than of her. So I feel like he kind of sold her down the river too. Everyone was super shocked. Well, not super shocked, but more shocked when the mum was arrested because I think they all just thought it was, you know, it's always the dad, the stepdad. And like, that's why they're like, you don't leave your children with a boyfriend and things uh-huh. like that, which I agree. Like he was obviously a big part of this too, but the mother was the one who initially perpetrated the abuse in this situation yeah. anyway. That's why I think he made sure to point that out also. But I don't know why. As soon as I saw the clip of her that we played before, I was just suspicious of her immediately for some reason. I don't know why. But she seemed just, very falsely hysterical. Like, it just seemed like it wasn't genuine panic. It just didn't feel right. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to say why, but just your instinct is off. something's wrong. So this case is obviously going to be ongoing with their court proceedings. Um, It's all happening, you know, this week. So as soon as we get some updates, I'll put it on the blog for Nevaeh as well. So check that out and we'll keep you guys posted when anything else happens. Okay, so those are all of the current recent update things that you guys have been interested in online. So now we're going to get into what the episode's about, which is um, the murder of Jasmine Fury by old school reality star ryan jenkins i don't know if how popular this case is really i think a lot of people have heard of it especially if you're around our age like in the 30s where you were watching kind of like when reality shows first really became a huge thing in the early 2000s that was when like survivor started american idol the bachelor the osbournes and the best trashy reality VH1 and MTV shows like Rock of Love with Brett Michaels, Flavor of Love, Flavor Flav. Did you have those shows? Yeah, we had, I don't know, I think we definitely had the ones, I don't know if we had Flavor of Love. I've heard of all the others. We definitely had the Osbournes. I used to love the Osbournes. Still got yeah. The Bachelor. Still got Survivor. So. Yeah, but yours are different than ours, right? Obviously, we still get you like your Australian American, Bachelor. We get your American versions too, um, but yeah, we have our own versions of Survivor. We have 
heaps of Australian singing shows, um, <laughs> but we do get your ones generally too. Yeah, well, it's sad that you didn't get Flavor of Love or Rock of Love because <laughs> celebrity dating bachelor shows were super weird and trashy. I still remember my favorite ever bachelor season was Trista and Ryan. Do you remember them? Oh, I know who they are, but I didn't watch. I know I didn't watch it. Then. I only started watching it probably over the last. I don't know if you'll know, but I only started watching it during Chris Soul's season, no. which was maybe I, I like watched, six yeah. ago. I haven't watched American Bachelor for years. Mm. That was they, yeah. hit, they hit the peak and then I stopped. <laughs> well, if there's any Bachelor fans out there, feel free to talk to me about it because <laughs> I love Bachelor gossip. Always down to message about it. When you were saying that you just didn't know how well known this case was, I saw that someone commented on our Instagram and said that they it was such a weird one because it happened and then it just kind of died out. There was not a huge amount of coverage or a huge amount of... Yeah, it's, it seems like everyone wanted to bury it suddenly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To start with the story, we're going to start with who is Megan Hauserman because she, even though she's more like a background character, she's still pretty important to the story. I'm Megan from Rock of Love 2. So why Rockstar? I think that I was born to be a Rockstar girlfriend. I was. I can't even help it. It's like a calling. I go to put my very cute, nice note on my boyfriend's door, and there's this ugly, gross note on there. She wants to spend time with my boyfriend, and that's not happening, so I take the note and put it in my pocket, and I just throw it out. When I win this money, what I really want is to build a room that is has a glass ceiling so that when it's cold outside, I can still tan. Megan Hauserman, she was a former Playboy model, and she appeared on season three of the reality competition show called Beauty and the Geek. I don't know if you remember that, but it was another stupid show where really hot girls would partner with geeks or nerds, and they would have to do just stupid competition stuff. And it was mostly being like, these girls are so hot and dumb, and these guys are so smart. Funny, because Beauty and the Geek is still going strong here in Australia. They just finished... Like it's really? every yeah every year they have Australian Beauty and the Geek still. <laughs> Did I describe it right? Because I don't think yeah I've no seen it's it exactly since, the like... same. They pair the hot girl with the geeky nerdy intelligent guy and yeah. And they're like yeah. we're so different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's a show here anymore. Hmm. But um, during the season she was on, her and her partner they won the prize money, which was two hundred fifty thousand dollars. From there, she was cast on the second season of Rock of Love with Brett Michaels because the first season didn't work out for him, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and she quickly became one of the fan favorites due to her sassy attitude. Um, she continued her reality TV career from there. She was on I Love Money. And she was also on Rock of Love Charm School, which was supposed to be teaching these wild girls from Rock of Love how to be classy and have manners. So another great show. Really riding the reality TV wave. <laughs> yeah, I remember this time in my life, and it was just reality show spinning off another reality show, spinning off another reality <laughs> show always. <laughs> they they milked them to the death. <laughs> well, Because, yeah, here they've got The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and then they've got, I think it's called... We have Bachelor in Paradise. Yeah, Bachelor yeah. in Paradise, where they all get the Bachelor rejects and put them in an island. <laughs> yeah, that's what we have, too. I love Bachelor in Paradise. It's on now. <laughs> Megan's also remembered for saying a few really great quotes. I'll put some in here, but one of them that she was probably the most known for was saying that if she won the money on I Love Money, that she would use it to help mentally challenge dogs. And she was also pretty much always known for a lot of times she was just holding a little chihuahua dangling from her arm. Like the legal blonde era, you know, where you're... (laughs) Yeah, it's very Girls Next Door, too. That was another big (laughs) reality show. I'm Megan from Rock Love 2, and I'm famous for wearing my bikini all the time and looking hot. I want to spread the word about mentally challenged dogs. I've saved one myself. My dog is retarded. The message is that you're giving to men when you wear this outfit. Sexy. Like, has been skinky. Ultimately, Heather is an old stripper. She can either look old or she can look like a stripper, but she can never look any better. 
So after all that, she was finally given her own reality show. So again, a spinoff of a spinoff <laughs> of a spinoff. Now we get Megan wants a millionaire because her thing was always that she wanted to be a trophy wife and marry a rich guy like Brett Michaels so she didn't have to do anything and could just have all her small dogs. So Mark Cronin, he is the co-founder of 51 Minds Entertainment, which is the production company that was behind a lot of these shows. In an interview with Entertainment Weekly, he said, The funny thing about Megan was her stated ambition, which was to marry a millionaire. So he said, What if we filled a house with millionaires and they were competing for you as their trophy wife? <laughs> and that's how the show began. <laughs> so then we get Megan Wants a Millionaire. The premise of the show is basically like all the other celebrity dating shows, like The Bachelor, where she's the star and all of these millionaires come to meet her. They're all different ages. They just have to be a millionaire. When she sent them home, like how The Bachelor has a rose ceremony where everyone gets a rose, the person who gets sent home, I guess they all have like fake credit cards for the show. When the person gets sent home, she would take their credit card and cut it and say, <laughs> your card has been declined. This sounds, this sounds like a great show. I would watch that. <laughs> I was watching, I suffered through watching a few episodes of this to find clips of the guy and it did not age well. I was like, damn, I used to fucking love these shows, but they're so bad. So this is the theme song for the show, which is very stupid, but figure maybe you guys would want to hear it. So here's that. Megan wants love. Megan wants money. To live a life of milk and honey with a man who takes her there. A gentleman extraordinaire Megan wants a millionaire And what Megan wants, Megan gets So for the show, how they found men for the show, they put out a casting notice that called for single men of the highest pedigree with the net worth of a million dollars or more. Casting producers placed ads on radio stations and threw casting parties at nightclubs looking for candidates. Um, eventually, they found 32-year-old real estate developer Ryan Jenkins in Las Vegas, where he won the team over with his cocky charm. Christopher Catalano, who was the senior casting producer at the time, he said, Ryan Jenkins had one of the best personalities on this planet. He was intriguing. He knew it. He wasn't the best-looking guy in the world, but he had this charisma. Megan Wants a Millionaire <laughs> debuted on August 2nd, 2009. But only three episodes would ever air before it was put on hiatus. So on the premiere episode, Ryan referred to himself as a little bit of a Prince Charming and a little bit of a bad boy. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, yeah, you have to watch the clips later. <laughs> this is a clip of them meeting each other. Hello, Megan. Look, we're matching already. We are matching. Have you met any Canadians before? Never. Well, it's about time, don't you think? Absolutely. Can I let you in on a little secret? Please do. Ryan whispers in my ear, you're going to love Canadian bacon. <laughs> Save me a spot for dinner, okay? Megan liked him from day one, and he ended up making it all the way to the finale. In an interview after the show was pulled from VH1, Megan said Ryan was closer to winning the show than anyone really realized. She said, I actually really liked Ryan and I wanted to pick him as the winner. I got his phone number and called him when we weren't filming. We would talk on the phone at night. We were having a phone relationship outside of filming, which no one knew about. I basically told him, I'm going to pick you. When Megan told the producers this, they weren't really on board with it. And they explained to her that Ryan wasn't very likable in his interviews and that he was just putting on a show for her. So they never explicitly told her that she shouldn't choose him, but they made it clear to her that the viewers would be upset if he won and encouraged her to rethink her choice. <laughs> yes. So reality, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, she said he was really upset and I was upset also. When there was a few days left of filming, Megan planned to call him once everything wrapped up and she would smooth things over with him. She said, I figured I would just call him and explain to him that, you know, it's a TV show and the story wasn't going that way. I wanted to pick him and couldn't, and then I thought I would just meet up with him afterwards. But when she finally spoke to Ryan after filming, he had something to tell her. And he told her, I have to tell you something. I was so upset when I left the show. I went to Vegas. I met a girl. She's my soulmate. And we got married. Surprise. <laughs> Plot twist. I know. That's like red flag number one that he's a mm. psychopath. I went to Vegas for the weekend and I found my soulmate straight away. We got married. Yeah. 
Got married. Sorry. Sounds healthy. I was just looking at Megan's Instagram and it says VH1 reality alumni, pumpkin spice and Jesus Christ videos and episodes Mm. follow link. And then she's got 13,000 followers. Looks like she might have a kid these days. Um, Hmm. So she's going to look. I'm surprised I didn't. (laughs) One of the producers noted that Ryan's sudden marriage kind of made sense to him in a way um he said he was very desperate to have a trophy wife he eventually lost on the show and he very quickly found himself another blonde in vegas and married her i think that was him trying to win the show in the end yeah to show that he wasn't a loser essentially yeah like i'll have a different hot blonde girl megan so the woman that ryan married was named jasmine fiore she was a 28-year-old swimsuit model from Santa Cruz, California. She frequently worked as a body-painted model for industry parties and appeared in shows at casinos in Las Vegas. She also appeared in commercials for Adult... Adult. <laughs> <laughs> she also appeared in commercials for Adult... Why can't I say that? <laughs> like, my mouth literally stops. She also appeared in commercials for Adult Phone Lines. You don't see those ads anymore. I wonder if that's still a thing. Well, I guess now they've got apps, so you probably don't need to. You can just get on Tinder and find someone. Or, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I wonder if they are still a thing. That's interesting. I remember like when I was a kid, you'd see the commercials for them late at night, and you'd be like, oh, shit. <laughs> so Jasmine met Ryan at a Las Vegas casino shortly after he finished filming Megan Wants a Millionaire. Two days later, after meeting, on March 18th, 2009, the two were married at the Little White Wedding Chapel on the Vegas Strip. Two days. That's them. <laughs> In June 2009, Ryan was charged with battery constituting domestic violence after he hit Jasmine. In regard to the battery incident, a witness said Ryan and Jasmine were arguing over her kissing someone else, and Ryan hit Jasmine in the arm, causing her to fall into a nearby swimming pool. Which literally seems like a scene from a movie. Mm. Ryan's father, Dan Jenkins, later said in a statement to the Vancouver Sun, he grabbed her hand and tried to leave. They argued he pushed her away and she fell in the pool. He spent two horrific days in jail for pushing someone in a swimming pool. Sometime later, he would say to me, Dad, I cannot spend another day in jail for questioning. Not one more day. I would rather die. His dad kind of, I'm going to read a few parts from this, I guess, statement is what you call it it's really like an essay that the dad wrote and sent to vancouver son and he sent it after the whole murder and everything happened so it's very melodramatic but yeah i was gonna say it seems like a lot of for someone who was in jail for two days for yeah i don't i don't know if ryan was also melodramatic or just the dad (laughs) that was or if they both were it's a lot of drama (laughs) so ryan was supposed to go to trial in december 2009 for the charge But the two ended up reconciling shortly after the incident. Lisa Lepore, she's Jasmine's mother, and she claimed that the two fought frequently and that Ryan was jealous of Jasmine's friendships with her ex-boyfriends. She also told the Associated Press in an interview that Ryan and Jasmine's marriage was annulled in May 2009, but reporters looked and they couldn't really find any evidence of it being annulled, so I don't, no one really knows if it actually was or not. Dan Jenkin, again, Ryan's father, he said that Jasmine was Ryan's only friend in California and that she would disappear for days at a time and lie about it. Bart Cronin, the co-founder of the production company, he remembered Ryan calling Jasmine repeatedly while filming I Love Money 3, which is a show that he was on after Megan Wants a Millionaire, but also after he got married. So he got off Megan Wants a Millionaire, got married in Vegas, and then was on I Love Money 3. And that was being filmed in Mexico. The producer, he said, he kept telling her on the phone, I'm going to win this and you and I are going to have the life I've always promised. Then he would ask her, where were you last night? Because he's in Mexico shooting the show and she lives in Las Vegas. He was very jealous and very suspicious of her. We were actually making a story of it on the show. We were like, look at this guy. He's obsessed with this model he married. And it was funny until it wasn't funny at all. So it must be kind of crazy for the producers to be making it a storyline about how he is crazy towards his girlfriend and then he, I mean his wife, and then he murders her. Yeah. Brings us to August 13th, 2009. Jasmine and Ryan checked into the Lauberge, I looked up how to say that ahead of time, (laughs) as you can see, (laughs) hotel in Del Mar, San Diego. They were attending a charity poker tournament for the Karma Foundation that weekend at the Del Mar Hilton. So surveillance video captured Ryan and Jasmine leaving the event around 2.30 a.m. on August 14th. They're then seen at the Ivy Hotel, a nightclub in downtown San Diego. 
And a source that was with the couple that night said to ABC News, Jasmine was playing poker with a big group of friends at the Hilton Hotel. She was being very rude and kept putting Ryan down. It was really awkward. She has a cutting sense of humor. He was getting really angry, and it totally set the tone for the rest of the evening. Around 4.30 a.m., Ryan returned to the Lauberge Hotel alone. Jasmine was not seen alive again. Ryan checked out of the hotel around 9 a.m. that same day, technically, since it was 4.30 a.m. before. Around 7 a.m. the following day, so it puts us at August 15th, the badly beaten and nude body of a female was found inside a suitcase in a dumpster in Buena Park, California. According to the Buena Park Police Department, the woman's teeth and fingernails had been removed before her body was stuffed into the suitcase as an attempt to impede identification. They could also tell that she was strangled to death. Ryan reported Jasmine missing to police around 8.55 p.m. later that day. He said he last saw Jasmine around 8.30 p.m. the night before at their home in Los Angeles. He said they had gone to San Diego for a poker event, and once they returned, she dropped him off to run some errands, but she never returned. In that lengthy statement I mentioned before from Ryan's father to the Vancouver Sun, he said, Monday, August 17th, I was on a holiday when Ryan called me to tell me he was driving home to Canada. He sadly recounted that Jasmine had left him again. He said they had returned to San Diego early Friday evening, and she had gone out saying she needed to run an errand and he and had not come back. By late Saturday afternoon, he went to the LAPD and reported her missing. On August 18th, the remains were officially identified as Jasmine, and they had to use the serial number from her breast implant to identify her since her teeth were ripped out and her fingertips were all cut off. Which, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard. There's probably more cases where that's happened, but I don't think I've ever really heard of that before using breast implant serial number. And using, um, like, if they have, for instance, like a hip replacement or some type of other Mm -hmm. thing like that, that they can use, sometimes use that to identify them. Yeah, so crazy. So the Orange County Coroner's Office reported that Jasmine had died a couple hours before her body was found. The mystery began Saturday morning in Buena Park, California, with the discovery of a suitcase and a body inside it. You know, I thought it was a young child because it was such a small suitcase, probably about a three-foot suitcase. But it turned out that the strangled body was that of 28-year-old Jasmine Fiore, a Las Vegas bikini model who had recently moved to Las Vegas, last seen at a poker game in San Diego with a contestant from the VH1 reality show Megan Wants a Millionaire. He's 32-year-old Canadian Ryan Jenkins. I've never really rolled with any girls that could keep up with me. Jenkins had reported Fiore missing later on the same day the suitcase was found. And now the police are looking for Jenkins driving either a black BMW or a white Mercedes. He was the last person seen with her. Our fear is that he might possibly be en route to Canada. Jasmine's white Mercedes was found abandoned in a parking lot in West Hollywood about a mile from the penthouse she shared with Ryan. The interior of her car was covered with blood. Buena Park, California Police Sergeant Roger Powell said there was a significant portion of blood that it would appear a violent struggle did occur in the vehicle. The blood was found on Jasmine's passenger seat, back seat, and rear windshield. There was evidence of attempts to wipe it away also. Powell also said the blood loss appears to be more significant in the backseat area, so it would appear that the injuries that we had originally seen Miss Fiore sustain are consistent with the blood loss that would have been in the vehicle. There was some hair evidence taken from inside the vehicle on the floor, so some hair pulling did take place. That's still being processed. We don't know whether it's from the victim or the suspect. Um, The vehicle also had mud and weeds and twigs like stuck in the undercarriage, suggesting that the car went off the road. So around 9 a.m. on August 16th, Ryan is seen leaving their penthouse for the last time. Investigators said he left Los Angeles and went to Nevada to pick up his speedboat. When police contacted him the next day, August 17th, Ryan said he was in Utah heading to Canada to resolve some immigration issues. Seems like a great time to do that. (laughs) Not suspicious at all. (laughs) On August 19th, Ryan called his father, who informed him Jasmine had been murdered. So this is a day after her body was officially identified. The Whatcom County Sheriff's Department received a witness report of Ryan's black BMW SUV towing a boat towards the Canada-U.S. border. Police later found the vehicle and an empty boat trailer at a marina in Blaine, Washington. 
The engine was still warm when they found the car, so he must have just left. And just missed him. Yeah. Always how it works. <laughs> so at this time, Ryan was the only person of interest in the investigation. He had not been charged, but Canadian authorities had been alerted to look out for him. Some of this reminds me of Brian. <laughs> just like being on the run and them being like, well, he's not charged with a crime yet, but just like look out for him. Everything reminds me of Brian these days. <laughs> True. U.S. Coast Guard and U.S. Customs and Border Protection confirmed they had boats patrolling the northwest Washington waters looking for Ryan as early as August 19th. It was believed that Ryan crossed into Canada sometime between August 19th and 20th. On August 20th, an arrest warrant was issued for Ryan in regard to Jasmine's murder. And this is a clip from the press conference where they announce the arrest warrant and um, they take a few questions at the end and you can hear um, how upset her family is in the background. Um, Jasmine was a, was a beautiful person. She uh, um, was a very caring individual. Um, she loved her family and friends. And uh, a lot of the information that you're seeing on the news is not true. Um, uh, we had a very uh, close relationship for a long time, and she was just a beautiful person. Uh, this message goes out to the family, uh, his mother and father, and to the friends that are helping him try to leave this country. Uh, Ryan Jen Jenkins is an animal. Um, what he has done to Jasmine is uh, unspeakable. Um, it's just not right. And I appreciate your help. Um, please understand who you are helping leave this country. And we ask for your support to, uh, to bring Ryan um, to custody. Your question was about mutilation. Yes, we're prepared to answer that question at this time. Yes, the, the fingers and teeth were removed. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, say again. Well, that's an ongoing investigation. I can't comment on that right now. It could be inferred that way. Um, we had to tell the family today, a lot of the information also was already getting out in the press and the public, and um, what we're calling upon, too, is to uh, ask for help from the public. They've been great, uh, both Canadian and U.S. If you have anything to add, we still have that wee tip line up and running, and it's manned. And uh, as you can say, see, it was very uh, traumatic for the family, and you'd have to inform them that uh, horrific detail. That same day, Ryan called his father, who was detained at the airport. But Ryan's father had to hang up on him. This is that part of the timeline and Ryan's dad's statement again. He said, On Wednesday morning, I heard the awful news that Jasmine had been found murdered. I started trying to reach Ryan. I got a call from Ryan that afternoon from Birch Bay. I told him that I had heard that Jasmine had been found murdered. He was in shock and broke down crying. I assume he panicked and thinking he might be a suspect. He jumped in his boat and drove to Point Roberts so he could reach Vancouver where much of his family lived. I caught a plane to Vancouver the next morning but was detained at the airport. The authorities said they wanted to find Ryan for illegal entry into Canada. While I was in line at customs, he called me, but I was told to hang up the phone. The cell phones were not allowed. Tragically, that was the last time I heard my son's voice. So 6 p.m. August 20th, Ryan arrived in a silver PT cruiser that had Alberta license plates with a young blonde woman at the Thunderbird Motel in Hope, British Columbia, Canada. The manager recalled that they pulled up beside a dumpster rather than beside the rooms, which he thought was strange. Ryan stayed in the car while the young woman paid cash for a three-night stay. The hotel manager described the woman as attractive, about 25 to 30 years old, and very calm. The guest in the room next door said the woman only stayed about 20 minutes and then left the motel. It was later discovered that the woman that Ryan was with was his half-sister, Alina Jenkins. The manager also remembered seeing Ryan talking outside on the phone on August 21st. He said he looked exhausted and he wasn't recognizable from his picture. At 11.30 a.m. on August 23rd, Ryan failed to check out. The hotel manager decided to check the room and found Ryan's body hanging from a clothes rack by a belt. 
No suicide note was found at the motel. However, police found a document saved on his computer titled Last Will and Testament dated August 20th, 2009. Police said in regard to the Last Will and Testament, about half the letter described how much he loved her, and in the same breath, he would talk about how frustrated she made him and that he felt very jealous about some of her relationships and that frustrated him immensely. There are some negative feelings about alleged infidelity. He did not acknowledge or take responsibility for the murder, but he did apologize to his family for all the negative attention this case was generating. I wish I could read it. I'd love to read the whole document. I know. I tried to find it, and I could only find just, like, descriptions like that. Mm. I didn't look super hard. We'll have so a look when we get off and there. see if I can find it. I'll put it on the blog if we can. Yeah, you're good at finding that stuff, so... <laughs> After all of this happened, since he was pretty much a star of the reality show that was airing right then, VH1 had to kind of go into panic mode. Once he was officially charged with Jasmine's murder, VH1 put Megan Once a Millionaire on an indefinite hiatus out of respect for her family. So that's why, as I mentioned earlier, three episodes of the show aired, and that was it. They also deleted the show's page from the official VH1 website and dropped any reruns of past episodes from its schedule. It subsequently emerged that Ryan had not only been charged with assaulting Jasmine, but he had been convicted two years earlier for assaulting a woman in Calgary. The production company said had they known about the instance, Ryan would not have been allowed on the show. So in regard to that, how that all fell through the cracks, it was kind of one of those things where the stars aligned to be shitty. And VH1 hired a company called Collective Intelligence which is a private investigation firm to perform background checks on potential contestants. So the company didn't perform background checks outside of the United States. And if you remember, Ryan is Canadian. So they outsourced the vetting of Ryan to a Canadian firm called Straight Line International. In 2009, Collective Intelligence sued Straight Line for a breach of contract. The suit alleged that Straight Line had falsely told Collective Intelligence that Ryan's record was clean and it also failed to check Ryan against the RCMP criminal database. Collective Intelligence claimed to have lost valuable business from Viacom, which is the owner of VH1, NBC, and ABC, as a result of the damage to its reputation. Collective Intelligence won their lawsuit in July 2011, which goes to show that Straight Line didn't do their job, which is sad, because maybe this all could have been prevented. It must be one of those things where... 95% of the time, the people are fine, boring, regular people. But every one out of 100 or however many is crazy. Yeah. Jasmine's mom, Lisa, she defended Jasmine against Ryan's accusations and Ryan's dad's accusations. Her mom said, it's such a bunch of lies. He's been making excuses since the day he met her. He's the one who is fraudulent. I guess that's kind of in response to the last will and testament blaming everything on her and her affairs or you know everything being her fault she said ryan would use jasmine's car to bring women back to their apartment when she wasn't home and he'd hide her thing so it looked like a bachelor pad she said it's so horrible what he did her life was cut short just as she was about to see so many of her goals come true i wish i could go hide somewhere and never think of him again so sad i know I think no one will ever know that this man was a professional con man. He targeted women. And he wanted to be something he wasn't. And this is a little clip of Jasmine's mom doing an interview. How are you going to remember your daughter? What do you want us to know about Jasmine? Um, she was a wonderful person. She was kind-hearted. She was thoughtful. She, she was adventurous. She was strong. She loved like animals and she went out of her way to you know look after her friends and her family um you know she was just a delight everyone that met her people that just met her for the first time even just she made you know a she was a shining light you know everybody she just had this this exuberance and this vibrancy Jasmine's close friends and family attended a private funeral for her. The media reported it was an extremely emotional event. According to someone in attendance, over 200 people gathered at the home where Jasmine grew up in Santa Cruz, California, to remember her. Family and friends read poems and told heartfelt stories. 
Jasmine was cremated, and her family said they were going to spread her ashes in Santa Cruz, where she grew up. Now to Ryan's family. Ryan's father refused to believe that his son killed Jasmine. So this is where that whole statement that I mentioned before came from, um, in that he said, If Ryan had done such a thing, would he have filed a missing persons report? Would he have listened to his mom and driven home to Canada? If he was guilty of this crime, would he have casually driven to Las Vegas to collect his things, pull his boat out of the water, and driven slowly north? Would he have talked with his lawyer in Vancouver? I totally believe that my son was innocent of this crime and believe that the last three days of his life were spent alone in a hotel room watching the media report that he was the brutal killer of his own wife. On television, it was as if he had been tried and convicted. I think in his loneliness and despair, he simply gave up. Brian was an amazing young man. Everyone loved him. He was smart and talented and excelled at everything he ever attempted, from business to his athletic endeavors. He will be missed by me forever. It's been a week of absolute despair, and I am deeply angered by his loss. I remain absolutely convinced that his this gentle, sweet young man was absolutely incapable of this crime. I understand that the police department is making progress in the case, and once I am in better shape, I intend to offer a reward for the capture of her killer. I offer my sincerest condolences to Jasmine's family. Not only have two lives been lost, but two families have been destroyed. He seems like a bit of a narcissist or something as well making it all about what he thinks and yeah first the statement is an essay it's very long the parts i put in aren't even all of it and then i go back and forth between being like this guy is friggin' delusional to being like oh it's kind of sad he's so delusional because maybe he really feels that way and it i it just must be hard when your child murders someone It'd be interesting to know, uh, obviously he's not going to come out and say it publicly, but it'd be interesting to know if he still feels that way. Yeah, I was wondering, because this statement was from closer to when it happened. Mm. But I always try to see the other side of things, even though my opinion is, dude, clearly your son killed her. But then I'm like, well, you don't know until you're in their shoes how you would feel, so... I guess it's just not the same, but with the laundry parents, I always I, think, I was thinking God, the same thing. <laughs> I wonder, you know, if if it was your child, you know, I mm-hmm. always think I would still give them into police and everything. But I guess when it's your own child, it might be a bit different. Yeah, that's what I've heard a lot of people saying too. Just being like, "What? Wouldn't you try to protect your own kid?" And then that's where it's hard for a lot of people because you're like, I mean, yeah, but murder i don't know and i guess you don't really know until you're in that situation and hopefully you're not ever in that situation that being said though i don't feel bad for the laundries no at all i absolutely don't either (laughs) (laughs) but i'm not jealous of their situation at all either ryan had a memorial service that around 300 people showed up for bigger than jasmine's and weirdly enough people are still writing on his find a grave page like as like a month ago so i screenshot some of the comments because I, I thought it was a little funny someone commented on august 16th 2021 shame shame on you it was bad enough you killed jasmine but then you had to put your family through suicide may god comfort your family and jasmine's family and not you they should have added <laughs> that's basically yeah. what it is <laughs> but not you <laughs> um another one on august 16th i wonder if a show or something aired where this was mentioned where people went looking for it because well, it's I've both seen, on the same day. I actually have her find a grave pulled up, but it says that they were on Dateline. So there was a Dateline about this case, so maybe that mm. re-aired or something like that. It must have. I was like, where are the chances of all these 2021 comments? Mm. Someone else said on August 16th, God understands and knows everything. I'm not here to judge. God has this. Someone else said on May 25th, 2001, Neither peace or forgiveness is given to those who dwell in the depths of darkness. And last one last screenshot from Melita on February 5th, 2021 says, May you have found peace. So you got all all different sides. Some nice <laughs> every, comments, some mean comments. Every side of the spectrum. Yeah. It's a mess over there. People are still commenting on Jasmine's Find a Grave 2. Her actual last comment was the 28th of September, so just the other day. And you can on Find a Grave, you can kind of pick uh, or, you know, upload a memorial image. So most people put, you know, angels or flowers or something. So someone's left her full blessings on September 28th. 
but on mm. 28th of August, Rick left her a photo of a Playboy bunny. <laughs> God Freaking bless you. Rick. God bless you. You are remembered today. Rest in peace. So hers are kind of similar. There's lots of flowers. Um, are there any mean ones? Not that I can see. Um, Good. Oh, Rick, Rick, Rick must be really, oh, Rick's left a lot. <laughs> Rick, <laughs> Rick, sent Rick her is some, a stan. <laughs> Rick sent her on December last year, God bless you throughout winter, the cold, harsh season in which nature sleeps and goes dormant, awaiting the arrival of spring. Rest in peace. And then he sent her early Christmas. Oh, my gosh, he really does comment all the time. <laughs> uh-huh. He left her Christmas message, Merry Christmas early. Wishing you God's blessing throughout the most beautiful season of the year. Rest in peace. Oh, I wonder if he knows her. I don't know. He doesn't know. Because there's someone there. Oh, someone else wrote, Judy. Judy wrote, your headshot resembles Barbie. And that's a compliment. <laughs> Thanks, Judy. <laughs> People are so strange with what they write online. I, that's why when I was going through them, I was like, who does this? There's someone on here who clearly does know her and they said something like, I love you and I miss you, you know, things like that. That seems like a personal one. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Rick does know her. Who knows? Maybe we, maybe we should look at the find a grave comment section more often. <laughs> Very strange. But if you want to be fascinated with the human race, go check those <laughs> out and have a scroll through the comments. We'll link, link them on the blog. Yeah. Um, and last for kind of final reaction to all of this is Megan Hauserman, who we spoke about in the beginning from Megan Wants a Millionaire. When the news broke, Megan was staying at a friend's apartment in L.A. She said, I was in the shower and my friend came running into the bathroom screaming that Ryan was on the TV. They showed his face and said he was a suspect in that they found Jasmine's body. While he was on the run, Megan said she never left her apartment because she was scared he would come looking for her. And she said, I try not to think too much about all this, but it's hard not to. This was such a close call. Jasmine and I could have been interchangeable. It would be crazy to be in that situation, you know, where it's just a bit of a luck of the draw thing, really. Yeah. And they, the two girls even look similar, like yeah. they said in the beginning. Like it was his way of being like, well, I still won because I have a different hot blonde girl. Yeah. But she's even said, maybe I'll put in clips of the interview. Um, I don't know what it was from, but I was listening to it. It was either like a radio or podcast type interview that she did. And the guy was asking her about it. And you could tell she felt uncomfortable kind of because a few times she said that he was such a nice guy. She would have never thought that he was capable of doing something like this. And you could tell she feels uncomfortable saying that because she doesn't want it to sound like she's defending him. But it just kind of goes to show how people who are sociopaths basically how they can really trick people and everyone said how he had this great charisma and great personality and 300 people went to his memorial memorial. so it seems like a lot of people kind of feel like he isn't the type to do this but i guess he is he was yeah but yeah i'll put in some clips of her talking about that because it is interesting tell me tell me two things Tell me your reaction to the events of what you've heard and just describe the guy for me. I'm just completely horrified that this um, could happen, especially someone that I know would even ever do anything like it. I think it's terrible, and I feel really sorry for the girl and her family. Can you describe him at all? Um, I mean, what's he like? I mean, I don't know. I don't really, I'm worried that I can't talk about it. I mean, just generally, what's he like? I mean, you, you, you've done it on the show, so it's not a secret. I mean, he's on, he's on the show. So what's just, what's he, what's he like, at least in terms of your experience? I mean, he was always very nice and kind to me and very like educated and definitely not you know, like this would be something that he would ever, I would expect from him. <sighs> he would be like the least likely person I would ever expect to do something like that. Why is that? Why is that? Just because he was so nice and like, 
I don't know. Did he? Have, did he? Have a, really bad. Did he have a? Did he have a temper? Was he always just always? No, he was always really calm and like collected and very smooth. Um, but that is really it for that story, and it kind of changed. It's people always say it's the case that changed reality TV shows and. They got a lot stricter with background checks and vetting people, and now they make people do, like, psychological testing and all these things. Like, I know for—I watch The Challenge on MTV. All of the contestants on there have to pass psych exams, and there's people on there who haven't passed the psych exam, so they can't come on anymore. But I guess the silver lining is that good things came from it in terms of— background tests yeah so hopefully this doesn't happen to anyone else i don't think we'll be getting any updates on it since (laughs) it is an older story and kind of seems to have run its course and uh ryan and jasmine are both dead i will try to see if i could find anything from his dad though talking about it more recently because i'd be interested to see that so if we find that we'll put it in our blog maybe we'll talk about next episode if we remember But definitely, whenever you want to see any updates since we've recorded, we'll put them in the blog. And you could see any pictures or articles. Um, The clips will all be there if you want to watch them. And the old episodes of Megan Wants a Millionaire, she posted, I think, five of them on her YouTube channel. I don't know if it's actually five episodes or if it's just the three episodes split into five videos. But... If you want some nostalgia, go check those out. They are very cringeworthy. (laughs) Um, And we will keep an eye out for updates on Mia and Nevaeh. If you want right away updates, like I said last episode, we've both been using our Instagram a lot more and posting a lot of quick little updates on our story all throughout the day about any crimes that are interesting, about the crimes that everyone's following, about Gabby, Mia, Nevaeh. Whatever anyone sends me, we're just posting them in our story, so it's easy to flip through them and get caught up. That way you don't have to go looking for updates on your own. So if you don't follow us on Instagram, do that at True Crime Society. Um, We've been using our Twitter a lot again, which is also True Crime Society, but true without the E because it was too many characters. T-R-U. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) T-R-U. And as always, we have our Facebook groups and our forum which is truecrimesociety.com if you want to be able to talk about murder without getting in trouble by Facebook <laughs> or flagged by Instagram because I posted a poll the other day asking if people thought Brian Laundry was dead or alive and within 30 seconds got pulled down and Instagram gave me a pop-up notification asking if I was going to harm myself. So that doesn't happen on our forum. <laughs> All right. Well, we will talk to you guys next time then. Hopefully, we'll be talking about how Dog the Bounty Hunter captured Brian Laundry and some totally. dramatic turn of events, mm-hmm. or just at least that they have found him alive, yeah, whether it's the FBI or whoever. And that he'll be going to jail. That would be the best outcome. Yes, please. All right. Well, talk to you guys then. Bye. Yeah. <laughs>